Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 160. Let's talk Apple Tax. Hi, I'm Neil. It's been a few weeks since we last talked to each other, and one reason for that is I've been working on this week's article over at Above Avalon, and this episode is going to be based on that article. We are going to talk about Apple's pricing strategy and the idea that there is an Apple tax. In researching this topic, it became apparent pretty early on there are a lot of layers going on here. This is a very polarizing topic. In the tech blogging world, there are a lot of people who really do think that there is an Apple tax attached to Apple products, and that is why certain Apple products are so expensive. We can go back to look at the iPhone. We have seen that progression at the high end, higher and higher. We have new products like the iMac Pro, more recently the Mac Pro. So a lot of people are looking at those products and asking themselves, why are these products so expensive? It feels like Apple continues to raise prices. And I think this has given oxygen to the idea that there is an Apple tax. And we'll talk about this in a few minutes when we go over the history of that term. It's not new. The Apple tax and this idea of there being one has been around for years. But we're seeing this resurgence. And that really got me interested in taking a closer look at what is going on here. How is Apple's pricing strategy actually set up? A few weeks ago, I came across a video on YouTube. It was from Business Insider. It was titled, Why Apple Products Are So Expensive. It was part of Business Insider's So Expensive series. So it takes a look at why certain items are priced the way they are. As it turns out, if you take that phrase, why Apple products are so expensive, and you search for it in YouTube, you get a lot of videos. So this topic is apparently quite popular. I actually came across a video from CNBC that was published 10 months ago that was very similar, almost down to the talking point as what was found in this Business Insider video. So I tend to think maybe Business Insider looked at some other videos for inspiration. But the video was troubling for the number of inaccuracies, falsehoods, and outright lies that it included about Apple and its pricing strategy. In my view, it's one thing if you publish a video that's more of an opinion piece. This one really did come across as news. And the thing that really stood out to me was when you go down to the comment section, a lot of people I think we're genuinely interested in why Apple products are priced the way they are. And they watched the video and they basically said, oh, okay, well, now I know why the iPhone is priced the way it is. Or now I know why this product is is priced relative to that product. And it kind of rubbed me the wrong way because here you have people who really want to know what's going on. They watch this video, which I think was completely off the mark, and they're not given the right information. And it really pushed me into wanting to take a closer look at what is going on here. The video, which as of now has received about 670,000 views, contained a lot of information. I'll include a link to the video in the show notes. Business Insider's primary thesis is that Apple products are expensive because loyal users are willing to pay an Apple tax or a higher price attached to products containing an Apple logo. I don't want to spend too much time picking apart this video. I want to instead spend time actually talking about Apple's product strategy, but I think it's worthwhile to go over 
the primary claims found in the video. And that way that adds a little bit of context as to where Business Insider went wrong and what is fueling what I think are all these false narratives regarding Apple's pricing strategy. There were three main groups or buckets of claims that were made about Apple, its product pricing strategy, and the company's overall positioning in the marketplace. The first is that Apple was said to be bringing in huge profits by charging higher prices for its products. And so what Business Insider did was they said, look at the progression of pricing from the iPhone 6 to the iPhone 11, $649 to $999. They looked at that progression as, well, this is really a sign of there being an Apple tax. They looked at the Mac Mini. You had progression from $499 to $799. So these were used as examples of Apple charging more for basically the same product. That's what Business Insider claimed. You could see where that doesn't sound right. These higher prices are said to be part of Apple's strategy to squeeze as much profit as possible from loyal customers who, quote, were unwilling to switch out of the Apple ecosystem, end quote. The second bucket of claims had to do with the competition. Apple products were said to contain components that are standardized and comparable to what is found in competing products. That, by the way, is not true, but for now, let's just keep going with Business Insider's argument here. Accordingly, higher-priced Apple products are more expensive than products from competitors, despite not including any additional functionality. An iPhone's bill of materials was positioned by Business Insider as a useful tool for tracking how profitable an iPhone is for Apple. That is not true either. And then the third bucket of claims was all about all the sneakiness that Apple's doing. So Apple was said to rely on sneaky tactics to grab additional profit from loyal users, such as charging for higher-end configurations, requiring users to buy expensive dongles, keyboards, mice, cables, etc. As you can see, there were a lot of claims being put forth by Business Insider. When assessing all of the various issues found with the video, the primary problem was found with how much long-standing narratives about Apple guided Business Insider's talking points. Numbers and data, they were cherry-picked to support false narrative after false narrative. Meanwhile, Business Insider ignored or brushed aside evidence that would prove those narratives wrong. For example, Apple's downright aggressive pricing with Apple Watch and AirPods, it was ignored. Strategies that have proven to be flat out wrong, such as relying on a product's bill of materials to figure out profitability, it went unchecked in the video. In an effort to come off as more authoritative, Business Insider relied heavily on commentary from Mohan Sani, a marketing professor at Northwestern University. The problem was that Sani viewed Apple through a marketing prism. The company was said to be nothing more than a luxury brand selling nice-looking tech gadgets. Sony claimed the only reason Apple is able to extract so much profit from the industries it operates in is because people are willing to pay more for the Apple logo. There is no mention of Apple controlling much of the profit with an industry by purposely avoiding the low end of the market, while also offering a wide range of devices with different 
amounts of technology. At this point of discussion, I think it's worthwhile to take a few minutes to actually talk about this phrase, Apple tax. The theory of there being an Apple tax has been around for more than a decade. This is not a new thing. This was not put forth by Business Insider or by CNBC or really any YouTube video. This was around since the mid-2000s. And when it was first introduced or first used, it primarily referred to Apple laptops, iBooks, and then MacBooks. What often happens when people talk about older products or how technology was, we get some revisionist history going on. The MacBook really didn't start to take off until about 2006, 2007, 2008. And when I say that, I'm referring to schools, colleges, universities, seeing MacBooks around on campuses. It was right around that mid-2000s. And there were a number of factors behind this. We won't talk about those factors in this episode. You had the rise of the iPod and other things. As MacBook adoption grew, there was increased attention put on the MacBook versus Windows laptop comparisons. A MacBook was said to cost more than a Windows laptop with similar specifications because of there being a premium built into the MacBook's price. Said another way, the MacBook was said to be more expensive than other products since it included an Apple logo. That's where the Apple tax got its start. And I think it's important to focus on that word tax, where you had Apple was said to be forcing or requiring users to pay a premium. The Apple tax phrase then took on a slightly different meaning as it was increasingly used as a way to poke fun at MacBook users for their apparent cluelessness in paying more for a product despite there being cheaper alternatives being available. In recent years, we've seen some evolution in the term where the Apple tax now merely refers to higher-priced Apple products like the iMac Pro and the new Mac Pro. In my view, there has always been a glaring hole in this Apple tax narrative. Since Apple does not license its Mac operating system to OEMs, a MacBook running Apple software ends up being very different than a Windows laptop said to have similar specs. And so there was never that direct comparison. In addition, while Apple made a number of content creation applications available for free on the Mac, Windows laptops positioned as direct competitors lacked such free applications. So you can see there's a difference there. It may be more correct to say that the Apple tax reflected the price of Mac software instead of there being some kind of premium created out of thin air. When looking at Apple's pricing strategy, it's not based on the idea of forcing users to pay an Apple tax. Instead, Apple follows a revenue and gross profit optimization strategy. At first, hearing that phrase may cause some people to say, wait a second, that sounds awfully similar to there being some kind of premium built into Apple product pricing. So aren't you saying that there is an Apple tax? You're just using 
different terminology. No. A revenue and gross profit optimization strategy is actually the complete opposite of what is implied with the phrase Apple tax. And we'll go over why that is. But first, I just wanted to quickly go over a few comments from Apple management on this strategy. And I went through all of the earnings conference calls going back. I think I went back at least four or five years. I have transcripts of each conference call saved, so I don't have to worry about certain sites removing access to transcripts. And it's interesting how there actually has been a very steady pattern of Apple talking about its pricing strategy. The thing is, I just don't think a lot of people either noticed or maybe connected the dots a little bit. We have to go back to the fourth quarter of 2017. Again, this is from Apple's conference call. And most of these quotes are from Apple CFO, Luca Maestri. Quote, we tend to think about maximizing gross margin dollars because we think that's the most important thing for investors at the end of the day. When we look at our track record over the years, I think we've found a good balance between unit sales growth and gross margins and revenue. And we'll continue to do that as we go forward. If we jump ahead to the second quarter, 2018, there's another quote. Our primary consideration is always around maximizing gross margin dollars. And that's the approach that we take around pricing decisions. So you could see it's a pretty clear connection here. This isn't necessarily a opinion or a thesis. Apple follows a gross profit optimization strategy. And then we could talk about the most recent quote. This is from second quarter 2019. And one of the questions that Apple was answering had to do with some of these iPhone trade-in programs and how Apple's thinking about pricing. Quote, what really matters to us and what we look at when we look at the elasticity of these iPhone upgrade programs is to see the impact on our gross margin dollars. What does that mean? What is Apple talking about when they say revenue and gross margin optimization or increasing gross margin dollars? The idea underlying the strategy is pretty straightforward. Instead of Apple including a certain amount of tax or premium in a product's price to maintain a specific gross margin percentage, Apple prices its products in a way that maximizes gross margin and revenue on an absolute basis. The term gross margin is cost of goods sold subtracted from revenue. And a gross margin percentage, all you're doing is taking gross margin and comparing it to revenue. Apple's pricing strategy requires the company to come up with forecasts for how a product's price will impact customer demand for that product. This is the crucial point of Apple's pricing strategy. Price a product too high and the lower unit sales as a result of weaker demand may more than offset a higher amount of revenue and gross margin found with each device. Price a product too low and the higher unit sales as a result of stronger demand may not offset the lower amount of revenue and gross margin found with each device. The crucial takeaway there is that Apple doesn't just care about selling products at a certain price to existing users. They are taking into account how would a price impact demand? 
Said another way, Apple is focusing on new user growth. And I think we could probably go so far as to say this revenue and gross margin optimization strategy, it prioritizes new user growth over this idea of milking existing users of everything that you can, of all the profit that you can. That's what's implied by this Apple tax that various publications keep talking about. A closer look at Apple's gross margins demonstrates this revenue and gross margin optimization strategy in action. And it's kind of funny how Apple's revised financial disclosures moved away from unit sales, but then embraced additional disclosure when it came to gross margins. And so as a financial analyst, you're always wanting more disclosure. You're always wanting more information. But in this case, we can leverage this margin data to help offset some of the negative found with not having unit sales data. All of the following gross margin data is available in this week's Above Avalon article titled The Apple Tax Died Years Ago. I have two exhibits. The first looks at Apple's gross margin as a percent of revenue going back to 2000. And the second looks at Apple's gross margin as a percent of revenue split between products and services. When we look at Apple's gross margin overall, what you'll see is that as a percent of revenue, Apple's gross margin has been steady since 2013. There is quite a bit of stabilization. On the surface, that stability would seem to validate Business Insider's claim of there being some kind of price premium automatically added to Apple products, as if management determines a product's price by adding a certain premium on top of the cost of goods sold. However, looking at just overall gross margin doesn't tell the full story. There are notable shifts underway when looking at the two components that make up overall gross margin that is products and services. A decline in Apple's products gross margin percentage, that is for hardware, is being offset by an increase in services gross margin percentage. And this is at exhibit two, where you can clearly see back in 2017, services gross margin as a percent of revenue was 55. Meanwhile, products gross margin was 357 That's a delta of 19.3%. Jump ahead just two years, fiscal year 2019, that delta is now 31.5%. Another way of looking at this is just looking at a product's gross margin percentage. In just the past two years, it's declined by 10%, or 350 basis points. That is noteworthy. This tells us that Apple hardware has become less profitable when looking at gross margin as a percent of revenue. What's going on there? Why is there a decline? I think there's two factors. The first is that Apple is lowering product pricing, which is eating into the delta between revenue and cost of goods sold. Most of these price cuts are designed to roll back the impact from foreign exchange outside the U.S. However, another factor is that Apple is willing to run with lower gross margin profiles for certain products. What's the goal in that? Sell more products. The second factor here 
is that Apple is including more technology in its products, and it's not increasing prices enough to maintain gross margin percentages. Similar to that first factor, Apple is becoming more aggressive on price in an effort to sell more products and generate more revenue and gross margin dollars. Apple's focus isn't on maintaining hardware gross margin percentages. They are okay if that percentage comes down. Instead, what they're focused on is making sure that gross margin dollars does not decline as much. They are focused on trying to grow that number. The following example really ties everything together. While Apple's products' gross margin percentage has declined by 10% over the past two years, products' gross margin dollars, so that's absolute terms, just looking at dollars, that declined by only 2%. This tells us that Apple is willing to let products' gross margin percentage decline, that means less profit found with each device, if it means stronger customer demand results in more units being sold. This is the epitome of Apple's revenue and gross margin optimization strategy. The decline in product's gross margin percentage doesn't become apparent when looking at overall gross margin because Apple services is offsetting the decline. Services gross margin is up a very strong 16%. That's 870 basis points over the past two years. As services with naturally higher margins, such as licensing, Apple Care, paid iCloud storage, those services are gaining momentum. In summary, while Apple's overall gross margin as a percent of revenue remains stable at around 38%, Apple's services gross margin as a percent of revenue has been on the rise and is currently at 64%, while hardware or products gross margin as a percent of revenue has been declining and is trending right around 32%. There are two major implications associated with Apple's revenue and gross profit optimization strategy. The first is that Apple's product portfolio has become increasingly competitive from a pricing perspective. In the case of Apple Watch, and AirPods. Pricing is downright aggressive compared to the competition. A $159 pair of AirPods sent shockwaves around the industry as competing products were priced in the $200 to $300 range. Even today, it's difficult for genuine competitors to come close to AirPods pricing. That phrase, genuine competitors, is key. It's very easy to go out there, find a pair of wireless headphones that don't cost a lot and say, well, wait a second. These things cost $50. EarPods cost at least $159. That's an Apple tax right there. That's not how it works. If you're trying to compare EarPods to a competitor, you really have to take a look at the broader experience found with these products. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes when it comes to selling premium experiences and is it possible for competitors to compete with Apple along those lines? When we look at Apple Watch, there's a very similar dynamic at play here. Apple Watch is very competitive to other products that are in the same league. You can't look at an Apple Watch and then go look at a plastic fitness tracker that's worn the wrist, compare the pricing and say, well, wait a second, Apple Watch is twice as much or 50% as much. That's taking the phrase Apple tax to an extreme. 
and said you have to look at the actual competition. What product is offering the experience as closest to that of Apple Watch? The second major implication is that Apple has embraced a bifurcation strategy in which product lines have been expanded to include a broader range of models and corresponding prices. This dynamic applies to most of Apple's products. We can look at the iPhone, the iPad, Mac, Apple Watch, and AirPods. The primary benefit of Apple becoming aggressive both at the low end and high end of the pricing spectrum is more choice for consumers. Products like the 10.2-inch iPad represent the gateway into the iOS ecosystem for millions of people each year. The MacBook Air remains the most popular Mac. The end result is that you have products with various margin profiles that offset each other. When it comes to how Apple prices various accessories like dongles, watch bands, iPad keyboards... The company isn't relying on an Apple tax. Instead, accessories by their very nature have high gross margins, given that the items are sold to customers looking to personalize their experience. This is not specific to Apple, and this is not even specific to the tech industry. A similar philosophy applies to Mac memory and storage upgrades. Those upgrades are indeed profitable for Apple. No one is debating that. However, the fact that Apple charges the prices they do is not a sign of Apple users being held hostage, forced to pay an Apple tax. Instead, positioning certain items as accessories or upgrades, it plays a role in Apple keeping entry-level product pricing low for the mass market. When you look at the Mac, for example, a healthy percentage of Mac users are not buying all of these accessories. They're not buying the upper configurations. I'm well aware that for some people, that reasoning is not going to sit well. Certain people may still feel like they are being targeted by Apple. Maybe they need certain accessories. Maybe they need certain configurations. And they feel like Apple is picking on them or Apple is looking at them saying, you're probably not going to switch away from the Mac or the iPad. So we are going to go after you. And we're going to try to take as much profit as we can because we know we got you. And I think people, there may be people who think that, who feel like that. And that's something that Apple would have to address if there is that feeling. I don't think it's widespread. I think it's a small minority, specifically when you're looking at the Mac user base. But when it comes to pointing at evidence that Apple is utilizing some sort of Apple tax framework to price these accessories, to price these configurations, there's just not much out there. And when you look at, well, why is Apple removing certain ports? Why is Apple selling certain dongles? You can see how we're starting to move away from a discussion about Apple tax and Apple pricing. And now we're starting to talk about Apple design. And if there's one thing I've discovered over the past few years, Apple design is a very polarizing topic. There are some people who just get very angry. My suspicion is it has to do with Apple designers being given the final say over the user experience and what that may mean or suggest about Apple software. There's still that rivalry that exists out there. But again, 
we're off on a tangent, which I could probably dedicate an entire episode to, maybe a future episode. The final topic for today is going to be dedicated to narrative violations. This is another thing that I discovered while researching Apple's pricing strategy and this idea of an Apple tax. There's a lot of widely held narratives flying around. A new school of thought positions Apple as a monopoly, not because it has significant market share, but because it has loyal and engaged users. The idea is that since these users would apparently face such a dreadful experience moving outside the Apple platform, it's as if they have no alternatives. Apple is said to be taking unfair advantage of the situation and its position as the only provider of a premium experience. I came up with three narratives that I think are violated by Apple's actual pricing strategy. The first is that contrary to popular opinion, a new Apple product doesn't sell simply because it has an Apple logo. Apple users are discerning when it comes to determining what products are worth buying. We see this when it comes to upgrade rates for existing products, as well as adoption trends for new products. The second item, Apple's declining products gross margin percentage is driven in part by lower iPhone gross margin percentages. This has occurred despite iPhone average selling price rising. That goes against nearly every narrative that has been put forth about higher iPhone prices being indicative of higher iPhone gross margins. That's not what's happening. And then the third narrative that's violated has to do with the App Store. Based on my estimate, the App Store is run at just a 10% gross margin. That goes against the idea that Apple is being unfair to developers when charging 15% or 30% revenue share. While some developers want Apple to charge them more like 5%, 10% of revenue, some want them to charge nothing at all, such revenue share arrangements would likely lead to the App Store being operated at a loss, considering that a majority of apps do not share any revenue with Apple. In summary, look at these three narratives about the Apple tax. Apple users are held captive and hostage. They have to buy Apple products, and they usually do. False. Apple's quest for higher iPhone pricing is all about grabbing additional profit. We see iPhone profit margins expanding. False. The reason the App Store is being operated the way it is is Apple's trying to milk users for as much as they can. They could easily cut that revenue share, but they don't want to. Based on my estimate, that's false. It's easy to look at Apple pricing and take a cynical view that management is trying to squeeze as much profit as possible from its users. However, Apple's incentive isn't to milk users for all they can, but rather to expand the Apple user base and provide users great experiences. Apple's ability to grab monopoly-like share of industry profits isn't a result of there being an Apple tax, but rather a byproduct of Apple following a design-led product strategy that ultimately marginalizes industries. That's going to do it for today's episode. If you enjoy the analysis and perspective found in these podcast episodes and in the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com and you want more of it throughout the week, I think you'll be very interested in becoming an Above Avalon member. 
the cornerstone of Above Avalon membership is access to my exclusive daily updates about Apple. Daily updates are 2,000 words and sent via email Monday through Thursday. In these updates, I talk about everything from Apple business and strategy analysis, my perspective and observations on current news and Apple competitors, my Apple financial estimates, and full coverage of Apple earnings, product events, and keynotes. If it is of interest to Apple, it is something I pay attention to. So even though there may be some gaps between these podcast episodes in terms of weeks, I'm always publishing daily updates. This past week, the daily updates were focused on going over my new estimates for all of the various install bases found with Apple's products. So I went over the iPhone, iPad, Mac, Apple Watch, AirPods, and HomePod install base. That is another way of saying the number of devices in the wild. Not only do I go over the estimates, but I also go over my methodology and all of the data that I use to arrive at those estimates. With all of those install base estimates in hand, I then went over my estimate for the number and mix of Apple devices in use and the total number of Apple users in the wild. So all of that information was sent in the daily updates this past week. To read those updates and receive new updates directly in your inbox, all you have to do is become an Above Avalon member. Head on over to AboveAvalon.com and then go to the membership page. There are two membership options available. It's either $20 per month or $200 per year. In addition to receiving my exclusive daily updates all about Apple, Above Avalon members also have access to Above Avalon reports, my earnings model, email priority. There is an archive, so you can go back and read previously sent daily updates and reports. I think the number now is close to 875 daily updates. And there is a member forum, so you can go and chat with other Above Avalon members. One last point, when over at AboveAvalon.com, if you go to the daily updates page, that's going to provide you a look at every daily update in terms of the headlines. So you could see what stories are found in each daily update. I think that does a good job at showing the wide range of topics that are talked about in the daily updates. Even though my focus is on Apple, because the company doesn't operate in a vacuum, I end up talking about a wide range of topics, including perspective on the industries that Apple operates in and all of the various competitors that Apple faces. I am proud to say that Above Avalon is fully sustained by membership. So if you're currently an Above Avalon member, thank you for your support. And if you are thinking or planning on becoming an Above Avalon member, thank you in advance. I did want to point out that for the 2019 holiday season, Above Avalon gifts are available. I'll include a link in the show notes. So if you are interested in possibly having someone gift you an Above Avalon membership, that is always a possibility. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all later.